This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. We welcome you along to the programme. Anybody listening to us from Wales, uh, can we wish you a very happy St. David's Day? Our own John Paul taking your calls this morning at 1850-333-103. And I can already see a lot of commentary uh, coming into us from the demonstration that took place in Dublin on Saturday. And we will be talking about that issue on the programme today. But I want to start by local Gardaí in Middleton. They're appealing to the public for information on the identity of human remains which were found near the town early in January. Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, was at a press briefing this morning outside Middleton Garda Station and she joins me. Good morning to Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. Now, what are the Garda saying? They have yet to identify who the remains of this person are. That's right, Patricia. The remains were found on the 5th of January last by construction workers who were working on the Middleton to Yall Greenway. And they were found just off the shanty path at Roxborough, Middleton. It's an area known as the tipping point. And um, uh, an examination began immediately once those um, remains were found. And DNA samples have been compared against the National DNA database. And as yet, a positive match has not been obtained. And Gardaí have been trawling through exam- the missing persons records and they haven't identified any potential matches at this time. Now, Superintendent Adrian Gamble this briefing outside Middleton Garda Station this morning and he said that <clears throat> post-mortem examination um, has been carried out as well on the remains and um, the f- forensic anthropologists and guard the scenes of crimes examiners have also been working on this and they've, um, they believe at this stage that the bones belong to a female that she was 70 plus years old at the time of death, that her height was 5 foot to 5 foot 2 inches, that she was large framed, that she wore dentures dentures, and that she suffered from arthritis. And that's okay. all of the information that they have at this stage. Now, a piece a, of clothing... I have a piece from Superintendent Gamble. I'll, I'll play that. Uh, this is what I'm assuming you recorded earlier, Fiona. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, I'll it play, was. Yeah. I'll play that and back Gardaí to you. Gardaí were notified by construction workers to the scene of a suspected human skull found at a construction site on the Middleton to Yall Greenway, just off the Shantypat at Roxburgh, Middleton, County Cork, which Gardaí immediately attended. The scene was preserved and the coroner contacted pending on-site examination by the state pathologist, Dr Margot Bolster. The services of a forensic anthropologist, Dr Lorraine Buckley, were engaged along with an experienced scenes of crime examination team. 
drone footage and three-dimensional topography mapping, mapping were obtained. A coordinated incident room was established at Middleton Garda Station and a senior investigating officer appointed to oversee the investigation. The area was extensively searched in challenging weather conditions over the next nine days by members of the Cork North Divisional Search Team. During the course of that subsequent search, a number of evidential items, including a complete skeletal remains, were located, itemised and retained as evidence. Dr Bolster and her team conducted a post-mortem at Cork University Hospital. DNA samples were obtained, but when set against the National DNA Database, a positive match was not obtained. The services of the Missing Persons Unit, Garda National Protected Services Bureau in Dublin, were engaged. Items of evidence were transported to Forensic Science Ireland Laboratory for examination. Members of the Middleton investigation team conducted house-to-house inquiries in the wider Roxburgh area. A number of statements have been taken and carbon dating and all available scientific resources have been engaged as part of this investigation. The results of the post-mortem results, the initial post-mortem examination results indicated that the remains are of a female, 70 plus years old at the time of death, 5 foot to 5 foot 2 in height, large framed, wore dentures and suffered from arthritis. And at the time and during the course of the search, the document that you have with you, the deceased was wearing a white faded garment, similar to a nightdress type garment, on the upper part. That's all part of your media briefing pack, so you have that photograph. So the message here today, folks, is that someone in the community must know how the female skeletal remains came to be at this locally known tipping point off the shanty path of Roxborough, Middleton, County Cork. And Garda Sheikhan are determined to formally identify deceased and treat her with the respect and dignity that she deserves. We need to provide closure for a family that, at this early stage, remain unknown and ensure that the remains are brought to a final resting place. Okay, that's uh, Superintendent Gamble at that press briefing, Fiona, that you were at um, earlier. Interesting Mm -hmm. that they've gone to the National DNA database. It wasn't just that they were looking for a locally missing person. Yeah, um, we did ask them that question at this press briefing because it is a very rural area and it is an area that would be known by local people but not so much of by people who are from outside of the area. Um, but they have spoken to people who um, have family members or loved ones who are missing from the locality and they have yet been unable to um, identify anybody. So I suppose they need to to um, spread it out nationally now in case it was somebody from somewhere else in the country. Uh, Now we did ask them as well how long they reckon the bones have been there for and they said they can't give a definite time at this stage but that it looks like that they've been there for um, that that they've been there for some time in in the last 10 years. Now they couldn't say whether or not the person was dead for that length of time or whether the bones had been buried there for that length of time. Um, and also it's it's kind of hard to, to gauge at this stage whether it was buried or whether they were thrown there because um, I don't think that they went down very um, deep under the ground but at this but they weren't able they weren't really in a position to go into a lot of detail about that. Now 
questions were asked. I know when the bones were discovered, first of all, Patricia, a lot of people were interested in um, some high profile missing persons cases, including that of Tina Satchwell. And they did confirm that they're not belonging to Tina Satchwell or anybody who um, we've heard of locally in the past couple of years who's been missing. Um, so it is a person, it is a woman, she's 70 years old at the time of death, 5 foot to 5 foot 2 inches in height, large framed, wore dentures and suffered from arthritis. So and the Gardaí are very interested to know who this person is, obviously. Did, and they, our, give a, did, you know, they, did they give a cause of death? No, they're not able to give a cause of death at this stage because we did ask as well uh, whether this was a homicide or a murder or, um, and they said that it's still very early um, in the investigation and they said it is being treated as a criminal investigation but um, there's no um, no cause of death was given to us. Now, I have sent on um, a picture. They've given us a picture of the garment that was found. It's, it's like a nightdress that was worn. It was white in colour with some buttons on it um, and I have sent JP a picture of that and he okay. might put that up on social media so and that might it, spark could something be, in somebody Could it be possibly an elderly person maybe suffering from dementia who wandered off mm. and got lost It could possibly, got, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. yeah But, but, why is but like somebody asked missing? him there Yeah, and somebody asked him there um, you know, if it was um a person who was missing with somebody who, you know, not cop on that they had missed a, a, a relative like a granny or an auntie or a friend or someone. So I don't, it, it's a really, really bizarre situation that, you know, nobody would have reported this person missing. So I think the Gardaí, by having this uh, media briefing today and releasing this picture of the garment, are hoping that it might jog the memory of somebody or that they might have some sort of information okay. that they can bring to the Gardaí to help them bring a closure to this case because it is very, very unusual that, you know, that this would be, fa- that the remains of a person would be found. Okay, and, and it's, mid- it's Middleton. Nobody uh, has any idea. Middleton Garda Station. All right, Fiona, listen, thank you for that. Yes. And uh, thanks for joining thank us. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter. And the Bank of Ireland branches to close. We heard this this morning. The Bank of Ireland have taken the decision to close 103 branches in the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. 88 of them are in the south with 15 in Northern Ireland. The branches uh, closing are predominantly self-service locations that do not offer a counter service and we have just got in the list of Bank of Ireland branches to close and I believe it's from September of this year in the Cork area. The Cork Institute of Technology, the branch branch there is to close. Uh, Glanmire, Bantry, Cove, Dunmanway, Canturk, Mill Street, Mitchellstown and Yall. All of those Bank of Ireland's are to close and I think that would possibly come as a blow to a number of people in those uh, towns because many of those towns, it might be the last remaining bank uh, and it is to close now. Now I know Bank of Ireland were saying that they have been working and we heard about this last week that they were working very closely with the post office and that people can continue to do most of the work that they were doing with the post in their Bank of Ireland branch that they would be able to do it in their post office and they made sure that any of the closure of any of the branches they made sure that there was a post office uh, close by but just confirmation there of the Bank of Ireland branches to close the one at the Cork Institute of Technology Glanmire, Bantry Cove, Dunmanway, Canturk, Mill Street 
Mitchellstown and Yall. 1850 Now, as I say, I can already see commentary coming in on a topic that certainly we will be getting to later on on the programme because we'll be speaking with a journalist who was at these uh, anti-lockdown protest, march, riot it depends what word you want to use but I think all of us who either saw it unfold on social media or if you saw it on the news on Saturday I think as a nation the majority of people were absolutely disgusted with what unfolded on the streets of Dublin on Saturday and our own Minister for Justice Helen McEntee she called Saturday's violent anti-lockdown riot an insult to the huge amount of work that's been done by the general public who have put their lives on hold to control this uh, violence. Helen McEntee said she was appalled by the scenes she witnessed in Dublin. She said a lot of people who were there were there with the sole intent of causing disruption and causing harm. And she said they did, did, they, they did cause harm and they ended up with a number of members of Angartha Shikona having to go to hospital. One had a broken ankle, another had a perforated eardrum and another member had been thrown off uh, his uh, horse. Helen McEntee said many of those who in Dublin had travelled into the city in breach of the lockdown rules and she says they will be fi- hit with fixed noses penalties. She said we're all frustrated we're now a year into living with Covid but she said people used last Saturday as an excuse for bad behaviour. She said it's simply not acceptable. She said the Gardaí had procedures to handle such incidents and she said they were tasked with policing them as they see fit and she actually went on to congratulate the police force for their professionalism on uh, Saturday. But the big worry and the big concern and a lot of the papers are picking up on this is that the Gardaí are fearing that this was almost like a test run for a bigger event. The front page of the Irish Independent say a senior source in the Gardaí are concerned that Saturday's event was the first ahead of they reckon there's another one planned for St Patrick's Day the 17th of March and another one planned for the 20th of March and a little bit closer to home it's understood there's now major concerns among Gardaí about a protest organised here in Cork for next Saturday and there's a Dublin Fine Gael uh, TD Neil Richmond, he's saying the authorities need to act immediately to ensure that there isn't a repeat of the scene what happened in Dublin that it doesn't happen here in Cork. He says already you can see online that another dangerous group have planned a protest for Cork next week. He said quite simply the protest needs to be stopped and the organisers need to be accounted for their reckless measures. And of course then there's the big talk about social media sites. I mean you know, social media sites like Facebook and Instagram and the role that they're playing in helping to organise like what happened that anti-lockdown demonstration on Saturday. That attracted huge crowds. Far-right groups such as the Yellow Vest Ireland and the National Party, they promoted the protest on their social media pages along with hundreds of individuals who were opposed to the current restrictions. Notices were widely shared online detailing the time and the date of the event and obviously the Gardaí had been monitoring that for several weeks. That's why the Gardaí were there in such huge numbers on Saturday. And the Justice Minister Helen McEntee has said that 
social media platforms should not be allowed to promote demonstrations that encourage violence and encourage misinformation. And certainly there was a lot of people went to that protest on Saturday and they went with, you know, one thought in their mind and that was to cause as much disruption and as much harm as possible. I mean, who goes along to a protest with a firework and then and then letting off the firework, pointing it directly at members of Angarda Siakona and it was the one, I think, that a lot of people shared on social media was the guy in the white hoodie I mean, walking up, I mean, he looked like something out of the Civil War in America, like one of the Confederate soldiers with the big long muskets that they used to. That's what he looked like as he was walking up. And it was actually a live firework that he had. And he pointed it directly at the at the members of An- An Garda Siakona. Now, it does seem that according to the papers today, today the Garda have identified the man who's suspected of shooting the firework at the officers. He's believed to be a 30-year-old man from Dunleary. He's known to Garda and he's previously appeared in court in connection with a drugs search. There's a big surprise. Officers were searching for him last night with the intention of bringing him into custody. Is likely he'll face a reckless indignity endangerment charge in relation to the incident. You know, I'd go a step further. I think the man should be done with attempted murder. That could have killed somebody. If that firework had had hit somebody directly into the face, God knows the uh, consequences. It'll be interesting to see when they track him down. Your thoughts welcomed. I'm already seeing some of your thoughts uh, coming in. Michael says... Um, Hi Patricia, those individuals who claim to have taken part in a protest march on the streets of our capital on Saturday are the pure vermin of our society. That was not a protest march. It was an organised attack on our Gardaí, our government and our justice system. It was the highest kind of the most dangerous thuggery on our streets and it should be dealt with in the most strictest manner possible. These barbaric actions totally and absolutely undermine all the sacrifices that the people of this country, too many to mention, have made in the past year. I would urge the Minister for Justice and the government to introduce emergency legislation, if necessary, to immediately quell any further similar actions. Also, any TDs, senators or any members holding a public office engaging in such actions to be immediately uh, prohibited from holding such office. The country is fighting a silent war against COVID-19 and rules and regulations have to be adhered to, even if we don't like them. God forbid if there was a world war in the morning and a curfew imposed, it would have to be upheld. The whole episode of Saturday, February the 22nd, 2021, being viewed worldwide on TV screens and on the streets of our capital is just soul destroying to sit back and watch as our Gardaí and our democracy has been threatened and abused by a very dangerous mob. And can I add to that and say it's a very small, dangerous mob, but it does need to be stopped and it does need to be. Um, and I would hate to think that they're trying to organise something similar for the beautiful our city centre here in Cork. I, I really hope that that gets nipped in the bud and it gets stopped. Your thoughts coming in about the anti-lockdown 
protesters on the streets of Dublin last Saturday. Joe says those protests in Dublin, the protesters should be identified and if they're on social welfare payments, they should be suspended for six months. No doubt many of them are drawing some type of support from the state. Forget court is a waste of time. We're all doing our best to stay safe. We need to put manners on them, says uh, Joe. And actually a number of people are saying that, that if the protesters are, we don't know if all of them are claiming or if any of them are claiming social welfare but a lot of people are saying that that if they are on social welfare hit them where it hurts and stop their social welfare payments. Eileen and Donnerill says if the protesters decide to turn up in Cork City the army should hose them down with, with water cannons from the river and, and I shouldn't laugh but that's how but Eileen I know the point you're making it's how I don't think it's ever we've ever used water cannons have we in this country to quell a protest I don't think we probably ever needed to but certainly it's how it's done in other countries that's what they do when protests get out of control you'll see the army go out with big water cannons and I don't know if that's ever going to happen in, in this country or not but Eileen and Donnerell is all for it. John and Mallow said people are allowed protest under the constitution but I feel the government have got everything wrong especially allowing people in via our airports and ports and it's simply frustrating people. So the cracks are showing now with people and if the government don't cop on these types of groups that organise Saturday's event will continue to flourish and they have their ways of bringing out uh, people. And, you know, John and Mallow, you're right, we all have the constitutional right to protest, but, you know, many, I think, who turned up at that protest or that riot on Saturday had no intention of going there just to protest. They turned up to cause trouble. I mean, the guy who turned up with a firework, I mean, why would you go to a peaceful protest with a large firework in your back pocket? You went there to cause trouble and nothing else and you could see the aggressive nature. I don't know, John, how much of the video footage you might have seen on social media. There was so much of it doing the rounds on Saturday. I was actually losing track of the amount of videos. But some of the aggression towards the Gardaí and the language that was being used, it was just shocking. It was really, really shocking. Kim in Newmarket says the social media platforms, they really do have a lot to answer for. These protests, like so many across the world, are organised on social media. The main media organised I cannot start saying to people, oh, there's a protest going to be held inside in Dublin City Centre at three o'clock. Please attend. Uh, surely the same rules should apply to uh, social uh, media. Uh, Maria, Marion, sorry, Marion Abandon says, I was on uh, Facebook, but I went off it. All I saw were people fighting with each other under newspaper reports and people uh, bickering. Um, it upset Marion so much she decided just to stop watching what was, uh, and I'm assuming that was on uh, Saturday. Uh, I think that, yeah, so that's basically what people are saying. Lots of people are just saying we need, this. something needs to be done, we need to uh, stop it. Oh, and Tom says, Patricia, one way to stop these protesters is to arm the guards. That would stop all those, what Tom calls Egypts. What a bunch of Egypts. No hope for us at all. There are two houses where I live and they don't stick to the guidelines either. There's no hope for us at all. So Tom is saying the armed armed response unit should be out and I don't know how I, if any of us would want to be witnessing that to see members of Angarda Shikon actually shooting uh, protesters but I can sense your frustration Tom and there is that sort of real sense of on, on a weekend where we were all very much aware it was the anniversary of the first case of COVID-19 in this country. I think so many people were reflecting on the year that we've all put down and thinking of people who've lost loved ones and thinking of people who were still 
battling with the results of COVID and what COVID has done to them and people suffering from long, what's now been known as long COVID. And, you know, people really struggling at the moment of people having lost their jobs and financially under pressure and people's mental health being affected. And, you know, there was a lot of reflection going on at the weekend. And then to see that these group could just think it was OK to take to the streets of Dublin and to cause what looked like a near riot. Just shocking. 1850 Our lines are open. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, no doubt there was much excitement in many homes this morning as the younger people's retu- younger pupils returned to school for the first time since the Christmas holidays. Fingers crossed in two weeks' time. The rest of the primary school children will also return, but it will be in just in time for the Easter holidays. To find out how one parent families are coping with school closures, I'm joined by Karen Kiernan, CEO of One Family, which advocates on behalf of lone parent families. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Patricia. Karen, am I right in saying that this day could not have come soon enough for many of the families you represent? Absolutely. I mean, the whole last year has been so difficult, as we know, for everybody, um, for children, for parents, for people who are trying to do it all on their own. They have absolutely found um, the last few months of teaching their children at home and facilitating home learning absolutely horrendous. It just has gotten very, very difficult for most of the people whom we're hearing from. And they're exhausted. Their children are exhausted. And what they have really seen, what we're hearing all the time, is that their children want to be with other children. Like, that's the big benefit of school, is that they get to be with other children and they get to socialise. And that's something that's way beyond teaching and learning. And that's what lots and lots of people are missing. Yeah, I've heard that from so many families of children who literally haven't seen their schoolmates since they broke up before Christmas. Yeah, and that's very hard. If you're in a small family, maybe you're one parent and one child, and maybe you don't have the kind of social network that you had before the pandemic. Maybe you can't see your parents or get support from them or cousins or whatever it might be. For a lot of people, they're very isolated. The parents are isolated and their children are isolated. And it's been very tough going. And so what we're seeing, I suppose, is that People are tired. They're tired of the online learning and and trying to be there for their children. Um, But they really want their children to have time with other kids and to get out and socialise. And and maybe, you know, some of the things we've been hearing about is, you know, okay, the holidays are going to come up at Easter. You know, could there be camps? Could there be something else that children could do? Because they really are missing that that socialisation. And for many children, that's a really important part of their development. And we don't want some children to kind of regress in that area. So I suppose there's the teaching and learning, but then there's really all social skills and socialisation and just how to try and compensate for that. Yeah, and it's it's so important. Uh, Because, uh, yeah, I was looking at the calendar uh, last night trying to work out, okay, in another two weeks' time, the 15th is when the older primary school children will go back. And then I think I'm right... In two weeks, then they break up for two weeks Easter holidays. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know my own son, who's in first year, won't be going back till after Easter, and he's in the last tranche. And I suppose that's hoping that all the other tranches of kids that go back, that it all goes smoothly and well. Um, so look, it's absolutely brilliant that younger kids are going back. They're the, probably the most important in terms of their own development, that they're getting back um, into school today. There are, of course, concerns around children with additional needs because that's 
what they need is so far beyond academic. Um, and so the services that they need really don't seem to be all back in place yet. And that is a concern. And we're hearing a lot from parents of children with special needs and additional needs as well. Um, so, look, we know everyone is doing their best but everyone is exhausted. Um, and it was for people who are parenting on their own, there's just that added thing of for people who are trying to balance work with uh, teaching their children or facilitating their children being taught online. Um, that's really, really difficult if you're trying to do all that on your own. Mm. So so none of this is ideal. Um, so look, it's great that the schools are reopening. Let's hope that everyone follows the rules and all the children can go back in due course. But yeah, it's going to be another, what, four months for a lot of children yeah, being out of yeah, school. Yeah, and uh, many lone parents struggle financially at the best of times, uh, Karen, and it's an issue I would have spoken with you about way before we ever heard of COVID-19 and a pandemic. But has the pandemic made the situation even worse for some lone yes. parents? Yeah. <laughs> well. Yes, it has. Absolutely. I mean, we know that most poor children live in one-parent families. We know most know that one-parent families are the poorest type of family because it's just so difficult to pay for those big things in Ireland, particularly your accommodation and your childcare. Really difficult to pay for, um, possibly on two incomes, but really difficult on one income. So, look, we know there's lots of uh, information out there um, of parents struggling and finding it really difficult. The pandemic was devastating. Um, you know, it just caused a lot of conflict in families. There were a lot of difficulties around access issues. A lot of child maintenance stopped being paid because a lot of um, the the other parents lost their jobs. You know, so there's less money to go around for everybody. And then for people who were frontline or essential workers, trying to have their children minded safely whilst they went to work has been a huge stress. And lots of people who are lone parents are out there working in hospital settings, retail settings, um, transport, you know. So it has been very, very tough. So we did, like, we worked with a lot of other organisations last year to try and get things improved. And government was very responsive and they, they did improve a lot of things. But the bottom line is there's less money going into many poor families than there was a year ago. And that's really of concern um, because, you, you know, if someone gets more into death, when they come out of this, it's going to be much tougher to, to kind of claw your way back up again. Um, so we're really trying to talk to government about what can you do to stop people going into debt because they're trying to pay extra fuel bills, pay extra food bills, and it's tough going. So if mm. you have very limited income going in, how what can you do? But really the big thing that we heard repeatedly last year was food, hunger, food poverty, families not having enough to eat. Um, and that was really shocking, even though, as was many of us knew it, we heard it all the time. So schools and youth clubs and earlier centres were feeding children. Um, and when they all disappeared, it was really difficult. And it is really difficult for many parents, I'd say, listening to try and pay for food. And that continues to be a problem. That was reflected here in Cork. We spoke with Cork Penny Dinners who said they never yeah. saw the amount of families uh, coming looking for food. Literally, they, they were hungry. Uh, Karen, we'll speak again. In the meantime, stay safe and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you very Good much. morning to you. That is Karen Kiernan of the one parent of one family that advocates on behalf of lone parents. 1850 Hi, uh, Patricia, with all of the small children gone back to school today. They are the real heroes in my eyes, says this texter. They've been locked away from their school friends, their cousins, their grandparents. They've never complained. They just got on with it. The country can be so proud to know that we have a great little generation of people uh, coming up. That's a nice 
nice text. Thank you for that. And then I've had a couple of texts in. I think both of them are coming from the West Cork area. We know we had a beautiful weekend weather-wise. Now, did that lead to people breaching the five-kilometre rule? Breathers in Bantry. She said, I was shocked. I was around Bantry at the weekend. The traffic around the town was shocking. She said it was like a June bank holiday weekend. Between English registers, cars, camper vans and general traffic, it was unreal. Breathers said people must have been outside of their 5k. There were people down from Dublin for the weekend. Said for us locals, it's very frustrating. We're struggling with this in Ireland. Yet the amount of people that arrived in Bantry at the weekend, playgrounds packed. And by the way, she said they weren't all locals. There was people beyond their 5k. Airbnbs remain open. They are a big problem. And then someone else says, can anybody tell me what is the point of guard the checkpoints? These checkpoints are clearly not working. They are in the same place every day and people are just simply going another route, taking the back road to avoid them. The weekend was a disgrace down here in West Cork. Again, people from everywhere. There were so many total strangers around the coastal area where I live I actually ended up bringing on Garda Shikona. Spoke to a lovely Garda who was interested in what I was saying. I'd rang previously at other times and some Garda gave me the impression that it was in, I was being an inconvenience to them by ringing them. Anyway, this particular Garda said he'd send a car to check out the situation. I'm not sure if he did send a car or not, but this I do know. By yesterday afternoon, the crowds around were even worse than when I had rang. How in God's name are we ever going to get the numbers down and get back to some kind of normality with people carrying on like this? It actually makes me so cross. I'm now starting to hate the weekends for fear and influx of people from outside the area. Thanks and take care. And that's from a listener in West Cork. Last week, the National Immunisation Advisory Committee elevated medically vulnerable people on the priority list for COVID-19 vaccination. People with certain cancers, motor neuron disease, people with Down syndrome are among some who will now receive the vaccine once all the over 50s have been vaccinated. Unfortunately, family carers have not been included. And joining me with her reaction, Catherine Cox of Family Carers uh, Ireland. Uh, Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning, Patricia. Pleasure as always to talk to you. Now, there was a strong lobby to have family carers moved up the priority list. Why do you think the plea fell on deaf ears? Um, Well, look, first of all, I'd say it's not even a, a matter of moving family carers up the priority list. They're actually not named at all on the priority list. So as it stands, they would be amongst the last group, which is, I think, 15, um, to get the vaccination. Um, So, like you said, and we welcome the fact that people with particular uh, medical conditions were moved up the list, which did happen there in the last few days. Um, But again, you know, family carers, unfortunately, have been ignored. Now, you, you mentioned as well, we're doing a very strong campaign And let me tell you, we're continuing that campaign um, and will do so um, until we get family carers onto that list. As to why, you know, they're not, it's so difficult to say. Um, Some of the, I suppose, excuses that were being put out were, you know, family carers are such a diverse group, so they couldn't put them under any one category. But you could say the exact same about doctors, nurses, frontline workers, supermarket workers. So they're all diverse. Yet we didn't say to the supermarket worker, you're not going to get the vaccination only if you're over 85. So to say carers are diverse makes no sense. Every group are diverse. What's really important is that family carers are providing frontline care. They are providing personal care to people with very high levels of need. And therefore, our argument is 
they should be protected and they should be protected to keep caring for their loved ones because if the carer, if the family carer gets COVID-19, who will care for the person they're caring for? To us, it just makes so much sense. And to be fair, there's a huge amount of support out there, not just from the public, but from a lot of uh, political representatives as well within Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, um, across all parties, Sinn Féin, have really been pushing for this to be done. And I know Minister Donnelly said on Friday he's going back to Nyack again to uh, push for family care. So I really, really hope that happens this week and hopefully this okay. week we and, might get some good news. And talking of NIAC, uh, what did you make of Professor Karina Botley who, who heads up NIAC, the National Immunisation Advisory Committee? She said when she was asked about carers, she said this is good news for carers in that the people that they are caring for are going to be vaccinated. Well, you see, that's not the full story. Yes, some of the people they're caring for will be vaccinated, but still if parents of children under the age of 16 um, are care if a parent care for somebody under the age of 15, that person under 16 is still not getting vaccinated. So that child or young adult could have very serious medical conditions. They are not being vaccinated under the current uh, vaccination process. So it is still a really huge risk for those people who are caring for loved ones. And even for people who are caring, I, I mean, I have a gentleman caring for his 84-year-old mum. His mum will get the vaccine. However, he won't. So his mum has said she still can't go out because he brings her out. He would bring her every place he goes, every place she goes. So she, he is still not prote- protected. So her, the mum said, I can't go out till Mike, my son, gets the vaccination as well so that we're both safe. And for him to go out and have to get her medication, go to, you know, bring her to the doctor, even bring her to get her vaccination is a risk for him because he's not vaccinated. And if he can't continue caring, where does his mom go? In some cases, they're saying, like, hospital is completely unsuitable um, because they're overburdened and overcrowded. Um, And nursing homes probably, you know, not a place we want people to go now at the moment either. So it just makes such sense the carer and the carer for person. Yeah, and I know we over the years would have interviewed a lot of uh, family carers who look after children with really, really complex needs and adults with really, really complex needs. It isn't even as simple as saying, oh, well, we'll just put your, your loved one, you know, in. we'll, we'll get them into respite or we'll, yeah. we'll move, move carers in. It isn't even as simple as that. No, it definitely isn't. I mean, again, I have another carer, you know, caring for two boys with with autism. If, God forbid, anything happened to her, like where her boys would go, you know, they're very high level of need, uh, high levels of need, not necessarily medically vulnerable to COVID, but very, very vulnerable in their own right. Both of them on the autism spectrum. So both of them would need very specific support if anything were to happen to their mom, who is their sole carer. So it's not as simple. And then also, most residential respite beds are closed or gone at the moment with yeah. COVID. They, so, don't, they don't exist. So, exactly. They don't so exist. I mean, that's is it, is it, more reason. Uh, is there simply too many family carers in this country? Which is, just, which is shocking in itself to even say, even say that. But is, is that a cause of why they're not being prioritised? There's too many of them. It, it might be. And again, it's, you know, it's completely unfair to, to suggest that. But I, I mean, it, it could well be. But if you look, I mean, there are about 120,000 family carers who are in receipt of the Carers Support Grant. So they are providing full-time you know, care for a loved one. And that person is, is vulnerable in their own right. 
So even if you were to start with that group of family carers and then look at what other family carers, so even if you were to prioritise them on a phased basis so that at least you get the most vulnerable, then the next group, then the next group. Um, but to, just to ignore them completely, you know, is, it is absolutely wrong. It is unfair. And I think it goes beyond this, the vaccination issue. I think the problem here is that family carers have never been recognised for the work that they do the value that they bring to our society, to our communities. And, you know, we use this figure. They say that they, now it is an estimated 20 billion every year, 500,000 of them caring for loved ones at home. So this needs to be a broader discussion about how we go, how we, after we come out of COVID, and hopefully that will be, you know, towards the end of this year, how we go about really supporting and recognising the work that family carers do. And- are you hearing from many carers, Catherine? Are they are, are many a breaking point? Look, they are really, really struggling. I think they're struggling physically, but mentally in particular, like everybody. And, you know, we, we recognise and understand how difficult it is for everybody over the last year. But, you know, for somebody caring for another person or persons, you know, full time, 24-7, when the likes of their respite centres are closed down, they don't have the service coming into their home that they might have had before, for children, for example, with special needs, maybe their schools are still not back if they're children in mainstream with special needs. So all of those additional pressures on top of a lockdown is definitely having a huge negative impact on family care's mental health in particular. It is really difficult. Family care down, we've set up a, what we call a hardship fund. We're supporting them as best we can. We're providing things like online counselling, sometimes financial support for those in real difficulties. But it is really, really hard. You know, it really is. We have a care line as well, the free phone care line, one eight hundred twenty four oh seven twenty four. If people, family carers want to call, just chat for a listening ear um, and support there as well. But yeah, it is really, really difficult. Okay, we'll leave it there, Catherine. And no doubt we'll speak again in the meantime. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks so much. Good morning to you. Uh, Bye-bye. That is uh, Catherine Cox, who is CEO of Family Carers Ireland. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we have already mentioned on the programme this morning, violent clashes involving anti-lockdown protesters broke out in Dublin city centre on Saturday afternoon as fireworks and other missiles were thrown at uh, Gardaí. Some members of Gardaí Siakona were actually injured and some taken to uh, hospital. Mark Tyg, journalist with the Sunday Times, was at the protest and Mark joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Mark. Morning, hi. Now, firstly, the background to this, who organised the protest and how organised were they? Um, yeah, there's a good deal of organisation, but I suppose the, the big flaw in the protest, from the protest point of view, is there's very little security or marsh, you know, marshals. Um, this thing really kicked off in January on Facebook, um, a group called Rise Up Erin, um, which has thousands of members on its Facebook page. And, you know, it will propagate a lot of anti-lockdown, uh, COVID conspiracy type theories, you know, stuff like that Bill Gates is uh, responsible for the pandemic or this is part of a global conspiracy. We very much push that kind of message, um, anti-vaccine message as well, you know, scare stories about the vaccines, uh, wrongly claiming, you know, that, that they've caused X amount of deaths or that they're part of a greater conspiracy to uh, put microchips into people. Um, so there's some very wild stuff. That, so that was one of the groups really pushing this, what was called Unite the Tribes, 
um, and we've been flagged since January. We, we wrote about it in January. Um, so I was watching it on on Saturday unfold on on Telegram on on Facebook uh, Live. Um, you could see the groups reacting. There was a, a lot of different groups then got behind it, um, including the National Party, but also people who, I suppose, business people, some business people who were just sick of the lockdown. But very much, I suppose, they're they're drowned out by the, the more wilder, you know, people on the internet and and these people who subscribe to these conspiracy theories. Um, and when I saw on on these live groups, you know, that bottles and other missiles being thrown at Gardaí, um, that's when I went into town and. Uh, you know, I followed them down to the GPO where there was kind of a impromptu demonstration party, people drinking beer, smoking joints, uh, making speeches, rap- rapping, uh, playing music, that kind of thing. And um, that's where I spoke to some of the protesters as well. Yeah, like people have a right to protest, but this there was a, a thug element to what happened on, on Saturday. Oh, very much so, yeah. Like the guy, soon after things were supposed to kick off too, there were some speeches down outside the uh, St. Stephen's Green Shopping Centre, but there was a very, uh, yeah, as you say, thuggish element. Um, people who were looking to throw things at the Gardaí, you know, from hot cups of coffee, um, bottles, um, fireworks were shot at them. Um, you know, people were looking to agitate and uh, cause trouble. And, you know, we've obviously we've seen 13 people uh, charged so far, more arrests and, and more, more to come, it looks like. Um, uh, so... Yeah, as I say, like while this was organised by a lot of people, and there was probably over two thousand people there at one point, um, there didn't seem to be any kind of stewarding of the group um, that, that had gathered to, to protest at the lockdown. Like Helen McEntee, the Minister for for Justice, I mean, she said that people went there with the sole intent of causing disruption and causing harm. Would you agree? Yeah. Well, look, when people go there, and you know, within minutes they're throwing. Uh, Missiles at the Gardaí, you know, they're they're not there just to protest; they're there to start a fight, or, or to cause trouble. So, uh, you know, clearly some people turned up so, solely intent on on causing disturbances. Yeah, um, and, and then there was this the strange thing is, and maybe the inevitable thing is that on these groups that we're monitoring on Telegram, on a Facebook, is that you know, the that like the person who shot that fireworks captured on video, and it's, you know, he's wearing a white hoodie, very identifiable. You know, straight away these groups are saying, "Well, that was a that's a, that was a Garda, an undercover Garda, that was oh, a, an, an actor." So this is the stuff you can see it's spread already. You know, the, straight away, like um, on Telegram groups on Saturday, they were saying, "Oh, that's Antifa," um, you know, group anti-fascist yeah. movement on the left. And so straight away, they're kind of building up an, a new level of conspiracy to say they're trying to discredit us here. This, this is the, the state trying to discredit us by putting these agent provocateurs into the crowd. Now, I know one of the first pictures that went up was the two women, I, I believe they're from uh, Dublin, with the hoodies on, with the, they need to go for some spelling lessons, RTE sold, their souls, T-H-E-R-E. You spoke with, it's, it's, a, it's a mother and daughter, was it? No, no, they weren't mother and daughter. Oh. Um, they're, they're friends. Friends, um, okay. Yeah, so I, 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 as a journalist, was... Yeah, keep an eye out for typos, and I immediately was drawn to their hoodies, you know, with that uh, message on the back. And I asked, "Got to take photographs of them?" Uh, Will they talk to me? And this was the front of their hoodies was was more disturbing. Uh, you know, it said "Save our children from the reptilian." Um, and this is something we'd seen uh, on on social media that had been a heavy Q and on influence on the Irish uh, anti-lockdown groups. This is, you know, for people who don't know, Q and on would be kind of a uh, something that's become more and more mainstream in the Republican movement, the Donald Trump supporters, um, which people subscribe to this wild theory that uh, the Democrats and Hollywood elite 
are involved in paedophilia and uh, that they 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 are harvesting uh, uh, kind of the substance from babies, young children, and killing them uh, to to guarantee their youthful looks through this kind of elixir. And it's a mad theory. And then these women started spouting the same sort of nonsense, but tweets, I suppose, for an Irish audience and saying that there was a mass burial site under the New Children's Hospital um, where all these babies have been killed to, to harvest this uh, and chrome um, elixir for to keep RT celebrities looking young. And I suppose my, my jaw was on the ground and these people were saying this completely without embarrassment or uh, you know any hint that, the, that, that they doubted this. They said themselves that they'd gone through down a rabbit hole they, they pointed me towards this website, BitChute, uh, which is known for hosting um, far-right and conspiracy theory content. They look, look, you can find about all this stuff yourself on there. We've, we've done the research and we know, you know that our nation's children, this is happening and we're here to protest about that as well. And do these women appear normal, Mark? Well, aside from wearing these hoodies with these... Uh, spelling you know, errors. Spelling errors and, and mad stuff about um, reptilians. Yeah. Um, like now, the, like and so some people are saying, "Oh, look, it's not nice to point out their spelling mistake." And that's that's not the point. I suppose it's just that they're 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 wearing the branding. They're proud of this. They want to they want more people to know about it. Um, and a lot of people, I suppose, have been uh, laughing at the QAnon stuff and that it would never take hold here. Well, so this is you know these are boots on the ground. Yeah. Or, and listen, listen. I, I, I would excuse them for the spelling mistake, but, but I just—it seems incredible to me that we could have anyone in this country who would genuinely believe that there is somebody in RTE management who's harvesting and murdering babies to get the elixir of life, so that celebrities on RTE can remain looking younger, and then bury the evidence under the new children's hospital. It is just beyond bizarre. It's beyond bizarre. Yes, it is. But then these people, people who are subscribing to these uh, Facebook pages, this stuff has been pumped at them daily and this is their only news outlet for some people. So if, if you begin to accept it, that that's where they're getting their news content, then you start to understand why they're starting to believe it. These people believe that Bill Gates planned the pandemic, that, that Bill Gates is working with George Soros to inject, that the vaccines are actually injecting, uh, you know, nano microchips into people so they can all be tracked as part of a, a global uh, plan to, to track all society. So, you know, if, you're, if you can believe that sort of nonsense, then this other nonsense, which is completely wild and fantastical and complete rubbish and balderdash, you know, it, it's not a long leap if you're starting to subscribe to that one, you know, complete lump of balderdash and, and, and nonsense. You could start to understand why they believe other conspiracy theories. And, you know, if you start to believe people like Jem O'Doherty, who's been very prominent out there and pushing conspiracy theories. I think she's a great journalist. And what she says is true, that there's no such thing as COVID. People subscribe to that page, follow her on to other sites. They start to believe these other conspiracy theories. So it's a, it's a, it's a frightening thing. It's, it's, it's jaw-dropping that people can believe this nonsense. But, it, but some people do. And but some people yeah. do. Would you be... I'd see that the Gardaí are fearful that the group behind last Saturday's are planning another event. I think there's one for St. Patrick's Day, one for the 20th of March and talks of a protest here in Cork next yeah. Saturday. Do you believe yeah, they'll uh, happen? Well, th- th- that's the thing. It's hard to, to know when these things actually take place. Like these groups were pushing or a big kind of great reopening, they call it, at the end of January. It didn't really happen. We've seen one woman since opening a, a beauty salon in uh, North Dublin. 
Um, so on Saturday, you know, although this stuff has been widely promoted, the United Tribes, I wasn't sure how many people would show up. Two, over 2,000 people did. The people who organised the various Facebook groups are all delighted with how it went. You know, as I said, they're pushing the conspiracy theory that the guards plant these guys to try and discredit them. Um, so they're very, they're next, they're trying to build on this. This happened in Belgium, you know, where they had big protests and violent confrontation with uh, the Gardaí, and that, that emboldened them, and there was more protests. So we have to keep a close eye, I suppose, on this. And But, you know, I, I report some of the stuff to Facebook, and they say, you know, you're hosting this stuff, how can you stand over it? And Facebook will remove some of the content, but they allow these groups to remain, by and large, and flourish. And, um, you know, while they have that ability to keep pumping out these messages to people, and, and obviously, look, people are annoyed and obviously tired of the lockdown, and so people are susceptible to this. Mm. Um, you know, that's the big solution. worry. That's the easy big worry. Solution. Yeah, it's an easy solution. Yeah. You know, to paint people as bad guys or some grand theory or some grand plot behind it all, um, and and people are you know are, are happy to say you know well maybe that's a bit of truth to that you know, and, and then next thing they go down the rabbit hole. Okay, listen, great reporting by you in the Sunday Times uh, yesterday, Mark. Well done. Uh, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Mark Ty, uh, journalist with the uh, Sunday Times. Tim is in uh, John Arrell. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning, Patricia. Well, you, you? I'm very well. I'm assuming you watched some of the video footage either online or on the TV. What was your reaction when you saw it unfold? I'll be very honest with you, over Patricia. Yeah. Right. It actually absolutely amazes me. I watched what happened Saturday night. Right. I've listened to two programmes here this morning, you know, one on Radio 1, and I'm listening to yours. Not criticising your programme now, just before I say anything. Right? Yeah. I've listened to people coming here, and they're all, oh, it's great to see the schools open, it's great to see this, which it is, which it is, don't think I meant any part of it. Okay? I've yet to hear from someone to come on air and turn around and say, we actually do not want those demonstrations that were seen in Dublin and Santa. We, we actually don't want them. You have anti-vaccine, anti-masks, anti-shutdown, right? Mm-hmm. Fully entitled to the demonstrate, I have no problem with that. But they definitely have no right to come out and put other people's lives at, at risk. There was a big show then Saturday night, about 13 of the people picked up in court in Dublin on a Saturday night, right? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we started with our excuses again. Some of the people involved in this were not um, um, able to pay the penalty that should be paid for their actions on Saturday. So those penalties are reduced. Did that happen? Yes. And why can't they pay the penalties? Because oh, they're because, living on social uh, welfare. There might be some of them on social welfare or adjunctive. Times are tough. More than likely, the times are tough. That finished up in Dublin uh, Saturday night. Well, more than likely, back by legal aid. The guy who who they're trying to track down, who fired the fireworks straight into the face of the the Garda who was standing in front of him I, I, you know absolutely could, could have killed him yep. somebody said he's going to be done for for uh, reckless endangerment is is what he's expected to be charged for when, when they track him down Liz one of our listeners says reckless endangerment my foot that was attempted murder yes it was yeah yes it was attempted murder 
And we'll announce another thing there then about, about um, Minister's TD. is not anti-government, no. Not anti-government, OK? Mm. Or, well, um, it'll take time now to get legislation through for this, and it'll take time to get legislation through for that. It amazes me how legislation takes so much time. Because if you had the budget on today, right, and the budget was right at 3 o'clock, Certain issues, certain issues called out in that budget as regards fuel rise, uh, price rises, prices for cigarettes, prices for the, this, all that would be put in place by 12 o'clock tonight. But they'd need legislation if they're giving money back to anybody. That won't, that won't happen until a few months. Stay there because I want to bring in uh, John O'Donovan is in the city. Morning to you, John. Morning, Patricia. Now, John, you? you're, you're a man who would be known to have gone out in a protest before. Well, I've been involved in the property campaign. I've been involved in, as you know, we started the water campaign here on Cork Up in Ashbrook Heights and kicked off the whole thing nationwide, right? I was heavily involved in the pro-life end of it. So I have vast uh, experience of protests, right, and how to run them and how to run them properly. So do you and believe that there was a group went to that protest on Saturday and they were there intent on causing trouble? I do, 100%. And those people, especially the individual, I've seen the footage now like everyone else in the country at this stage. And this guy, like you mentioned, be charged, as the previous just said, with attempted murder. Because, I mean, what he'd done at that distance, like you I mean, if he didn't kill the person, he definitely would have caused brain damage or he definitely would have blinded one of the guards or maybe more than one. So that was pure criminality, pure thuggery. I distanced myself completely as a seasoned campaign or many campaigns. I 100% distanced myself and any decent person out there involved in any form of protest down through the years would distance themselves, I hope, from this thug, this criminal, this pure waste of space that actually done what he did and the people who were actually with him. Now, the majority of the people, you know, I've listened to your, your correspondent that was on the way to go, the, the journalist. Mark Ty. Yeah, I'm afraid, like, I'd slightly have to differ there from a lot of the things he said, Patricia, because he was horny in a conspiracy theory stuff and about children being buried under children's hospital and all these mad conspiracy theories people had. But the majority of people that were up there at that, because I know some people that travel from Cork, right? They were there, they were just anti-lockdown. They believe the government have mismanaged this because, I mean, let's be honest, if they didn't, like New Zealand, we'd be out of this thing long ago, right? They're fed up to their teeth of it. Their children are at home. They're working at home. Their mental health is on the floor. I mean, people worry about their jobs. Job goes, mortgage goes, house goes, homelessness. God knows what's down the tracks, right? But, I mean, the majority of people that were there, sir, they were just anti-lockdown, like, they're just fed up with this. They want some light at the end of the tunnel. It was under the very, very, very minority of pure scum that did what they did. And somebody said this morning, how do you read it out there about Army and the Gardaí? Are they actually serious? Do we want to see stuff like happens in Singapore and places like that? Well, no, and no one wants to see protesters yeah, the um, shot. There's talks of a protest in Cork on Saturday, a similar protest in Cork on Saturday. Would that make you nervous, John? Um, well, I definitely will go in to, to observe to see what's happening. But, I mean, uh, you see what's happening, Patricia, the cracks are appearing. And unfortunately, no, the wrong type of cracks appeared on Saturday with the mindless vandalism and thuggery and criminality. Yeah, but is there a danger that every protest now that's going to be organised against anti-lockdown, the same thing is going to happen? Well, you see, this is the problem now, like, I mean, because people could travel down from Dublin out to doing this for Cork 
and somebody could kick off. All of these is a handful of people. Look, just like any other city, Patricia, or any other uh, town around Ireland, we've got our scumbags here on Cork as well, who would be hell-bent to come in there. All it takes is somebody to throw a bottle and hit a guard in the head. Well, that starts us. Let me bring Tim back in in, in Donnerell. Um, Tim, do you, how would you feel about a protest going ahead in Cork? Can I ask John a question? There you can, yeah. Mind? You can. John, I'd be the first one to say everyone have a right to demonstrate. Mm-hmm. Okay? But when you say people are fed up and locked down and fed up with this and fed up with that, will you agree or disagree it is for a health reason? Well, obviously, there, there is a virus in the country. We are aware yes, of no, that. no, no, no. Hold on a minute now. I'm listening to, I'm listening to radio and television no longer enough, right? Mm-hmm. And nothing personal what I'm going to say to you. I will listen to criticism when I hear a person come out and say, I'm in favour of this demonstration and that demonstration, when they are in a position to put a solution on the table. If you can tell me live on air how we can get on top of this virus by opening everything up, please do. And please well, tell you, everyone else in the country as well. Well, I'll tell you what, no, right? If the government did what they should have done at the start... Like no, 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 hold on a minute now, John. Hold no. on a minute. I'm not, I didn't ask you the question for you to bring back about the government. I didn't ask that question. I'm asking you, as a person that have taken part in demonstrations mm-hmm. and, and taken part in everything else, you, as an individual, are going out supporting those demonstrations... Are you going out supporting something that you have no solution for? Well, I'm, you see, I'm not a legislator. I can change something. It's only the government can do that. But you must, have your, point, you must have your point of view. What solves it? What, what actually solves it? Well, what solves it? Do we open it up and just leave what, it run right? What, what, no, no. What solves it at the moment? No. And a lot of people were, probably won't like when you're going to stay next time. I would actually tighten up the lockdown more. And I would take it out to the end of April, right? But that has to be the last time. Because the cracks, as I previously said, are appearing. I mean, since last November alone, right, there were 700 people died in nursing homes. Right? That's absolutely outrageous. But isn't that the hope at the moment, John, that this will be, if we all pull together, and I know people are sick of hearing that, that this will be the last one. The vaccine is there. We're rolling out the vaccine. We're seeing success with the vaccine. This is the final push. So therefore, the protests, are they coming at completely the wrong time? And are they, they could be a super spreader event and could put, back, put us back right where we started. But you see, this is the problem. But if your people are exasperated at this stage. The mental health, as I said previously, is on the floor. People can't see any way over but they're not being led properly. Behind that is a disaster. Baratka is a disaster. And if they're going to be criticising protests, it's a pity Leo Baratka... He actually praised the Black Lives Matter, if you remember last year, where there were 6,000 people marched to the streets of Dublin, and he actually praised that there wasn't one person arrested just because of the Black Lives Matter. No, I support people's uh, right to protest, because if you go down the road, that you ban protest completely, right? I mean, well, I'll I, I, I move to North Korea then, if that's the way. John, I never said anything about banning protests. I said nothing about banning any protests, right? But I want to hear a solution. I just, I just want just, to hear I, a solution. You were involved in the water side of it. You were involved in the water side of it, right? Yes. Free water, free water, free water, free water. 
I never heard anyone be come back and admit afterwards that there was 40% of raw tax money taken to, to keep the water system in place. We always told people that. I just blew in the face but, telling people But that. is it all right for me to pay raw tax? But should I be Hold this minute, John. Hold a minute. Is it all right for me to pay raw tax and for me to pay a third of my raw tax every year? To pay for water. Okay, I, don't, I really don't want to I rehash water no, 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 charges. No, 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 okay, no, 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 okay, can I can I just put a question to? This is coming from uh, Jim for to John O'Donovan. Just wondering if John is going to wear a mask at the protest in Cork and after the protest uh, at the weekend, is there a danger that we'll end up with more COVID cases as a result? Could it become a super spreader event and push us further into lockdown? Exactly. Fo- it's total foolishness, says Jim. Well, Will well, you wear a mask, John? I will. I wear the mask everywhere I go. And I will be wearing the mask on, on Saturday and I will be going there to see... Uh, and mostly I want to see how it's conducted because if I see anyone acting the maggot... And I would say something all in in this, Patricia. Please, anyone in the city know, and outside the city, that's thinking about coming into that on Saturday and outside that process. Please, just in case, leave your children at home, please. Do not bring children to this. I hope nothing will happen, but just in case there'll be a repetition of what happened by some mindless thugs what happened on in, in, in Saturday in Dublin. Please leave your children at home. OK, listen, it's an issue. I know, We particularly if it happens at the weekend, we will be sadly returning to it. And I'm hoping if we return to it, it's not for all the wrong reasons. Uh, but thank you both. Something there before you go up very, yeah, very briefly. I have, I'm not... I'm not uh, criticising John, no. Okay. Yeah. I'm not criticising him here, no. All right. But I don't know whether he's involved in which I don't think he is actually, to be fair to him. I don't, he's, I don't think he will be involved in the organising of it. He's not. He's just said right. that he will attend. Is John prepared in the event of he being at a demonstration in Cork next weekend? Is he prepared to pick up a microphone, stand in a platform and say, right, some of these solutions have to be lifted. But when we lift them, I will give you a list of solutions. He doesn't have a list of solutions. Yes, do that's my point. Yeah. So don't demonstrate if you're having the solution. Well, oh. they're, they're, they're and John, will you be able to travel into the city centre? Will it be within your 5k? Oh, yeah. From my house into the city centre, is uh, four points. All right, OK. All right. Okay. listen, we leave it there, uh, gentlemen. Thank you for that. That's Tim in uh, Donnerill and uh, John O'Donovan listening to us in the uh, city. Some of your thoughts uh, coming in. Hi, uh, Patricia. Last Saturday's protest in Dublin was so shocking to watch. Unfortunately, there will always be the minority who will cause trouble for everybody else. For some reason, they are anti-establishment and nothing will sway them to go with democratic decisions uh, are indeed the feelings and the views of the majority of the people. My husband and I long ago came to a realisation that most of our laws are made to protect 90% of the population with the other 10%, not from the other 10... Oh, sorry. It's to protect... Laws are made to protect 90% of the population from the other 10%. It's like a class in school being deprived of of a reward because of the behaviour of one or two. Since lockdown began and since we were told to wear masks, I have often questioned people who are not wearing a mask in shops. One response was, well, we haven't had a referendum on that yet. Uh, And another response only last week when I asked a young man why he wasn't wearing a mask and he says, because I ain't. 
it I will always and it will always be so and if you keep as you keep reminding us look after your own safety uh, kind regards and that's uh, Denise messaging us from uh, West Cork thank you for that uh, Denise and you are right uh, keep safe and look after yourself Maura says Patricia I'm sick I was sickened looking at that mob at the weekend our guardy put on the uniform at the beginning of their shift to protect Irish citizens it's a disgrace but please can you tell me why that guard that did not let his dog go he was flat out just trying to hold the dog back I would have left him off a good bite on one of those might have calmed them uh, down 1850-333-103 and just going to give you just a couple of texts coming in on different uh, issues in the midst of all of that Pat says Patricia McCroom Town left their beautiful Christmas lights switched on until about mid-February. Do you remember another a number of towns did that to kind of brighten up the winter a little bit uh, for us? Well, Pat said they did it in McCroom and I was cheered up so much by it. Last night, I saw the lovely St. Patrick's daylights were up and lit. Lovely uh, emblems and it would cheer anybody up thanking McCroom and that's from Pat so well done to everyone I don't know who's involved with the lights if it's the local authority or if it's the local Chamber of Commerce or a business organisation who's responsible but well done to everybody in McCroom and Noel in Kilmurray says Patricia forgetting the violent protest in Dublin for a moment may I just pay a compliment to C103 and to John Green in particular for the excellent Where the Road Takes Me programme which was broadcast at 7 o'clock yesterday evening it was great to hear Dr Mike Ryan of the World Health organisation about his life and his campaign against infectious diseases I thought John did a really really good interview. Many thanks Noel in Kilmurray and Noel thank you for sending in that text because I listened to John Green's Where the Road Takes Me uh, last night and it was a stunning piece of radio. It really was and Dr Mike Ryan I said it when I interviewed John last week about the interview. I'm a huge fan of Dr. Mike Ryan. I think the guy is just incredible. Uh, anything he comes out with, he's always just so level-headed and he has just such a great understanding of us, not just here in Ireland, but globally and how we need to look after everyone and how we we are not all safe until everyone is safe. And that means everybody in the world. And he touched on that. And that's why when we do get vaccinated and we are starting to get vaccinated, we mustn't forget the third world countries. We need to protect the people in the third world countries from COVID-19 because we can't live in our own little bubble uh, forever. And if we don't protect the people in the third world country, then what happens is the COVID-19 keeps mutating. So we need to look after everybody. And that came out very strongly in that interview last night, but it was excellent. Now I'll check in with uh, John Paul because I know it goes up as a podcast for people who did miss it and I don't know if it's up it's up in a podcast today so okay John Paul tells me it's up on a podcast if you go to uh, wherever you get your podcasts uh, from C103 where's, where the road takes me it is well well worth uh, a listen so thank you Noel for that 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs an Arctic driver is uh, needed for a local curtain sizer work. No idea what that is. It's in the new market area. A person wanted for car valeting, that's in the Bantry area. Transport coordinator required for a North Cork haulage company. And staff nurses to support people with intellectual disabilities wanted to work in the Canturk area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. 
Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. cmig.ie. And we are going to leave riots and protests completely behind us and no talk of COVID uh, for a couple of minutes because I want to go to something completely different because last uh, Friday, Ireland's Eurovision entry was released ahead of this year's song contest in May. To chat about our entry, I'm joined by our Eurovision, co- our Eurovision correspondent and that's Johnny O'Mahony. <laughs> Sorry, now I had to play that, Johnny. Good morning to you. <laughs> Good morning, Trisha. How are you? Do you just love that sound? Say that again. Do you, do you just love that sound? Love. I don't know what it is. It's just it's 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 just something that's been there forever. If you know what I mean, and. Um it just, it, you, you never tire of it. I know. No. And it's like every year when the song contest comes on and they always start with that. Like, yeah. I've got to go. It's almost like it's the national anthem for me. It's like, shh, yes, shh, shh, it's, the song. It's, yeah, <laughs> it is Teddy and by, Sha- I think, Chapontier is the, the composer. But even I go back to um, the early days back in the 70s, say when I was only a, a, a mere child. And Eurovision, this was kind of, you know, this was the beginning. And you only heard it at that time. Or, you know, there's different um, events that are, Organised by the EBU, and this is part. This is their theme, I suppose. And um, you know, it's it it, it is kind of synonymous with your vision for yeah. everybody here, and I definitely iconic. And I think I think you've hit the nail on the head as well. I think it brings it back. It brings us back to our childhood. Like exactly. we all we all grew up with the Eurovision Song Contest. It was a once a year event. You, yeah. put, you only got to hear that. The, there was the, no once a year. There no, was no, no, no. You can never hear it. No, no. Yeah, exactly. I love it. I love the. I love it as well. I don't know what it is. Anyway, Leslie Roy, and the song is uh, Maps. Now I, I'm going to play it in in just a moment. But your initial reaction to this song, uh, Johnny? When I heard it on the radio Friday morning, I thought, oh. The, you know, here we go again, there's nothing here. And a few minutes after, or whatever, you know, it, it, I was thinking about that. And somehow, I, I just had the tune in my head. And that's a very good sign. And I actually think, it's, I like it now. I listened to it again, not long after the, the first listening. And um, I thought, yeah, it, it's definitely better than last year's song. Can't see winning the, the final at this stage. But I, I really like it. It's, um, it's stronger than last year's, which is a good thing. And, um, you know, I, once she performs it well on the night, I think it's, you know, it, we have a good chance of qualifying. There's great, um, what would I say, support for the feedback from throughout Europe. Great. That it, it's a, a positive, um, a, a positive feel to it. And, and I'm delighted for her because, I mean, for anybody that did qualify for last year and obviously didn't get a chance to, to go and perform and compete, um, to get the chance to come back and, you know, come back better and stronger, I think it's great. And, uh, yeah, I, I I thought it looked great on the late late Friday night, and she she did a great job. So hopefully, and do you do you think it was the right decision to allow her to come back and have a second stab at it? Hundred percent. I know. You know. I mean, it, it was her choice as well. And I mean, she said that on the late late Friday night. You know, kind of, will I? I won't I? And you know, there, there's some uh, people that qualified last year not coming back, and I don't know whether that's their choice or whether it's their their national broadcaster's choice not to bring them back, but. She was given the opportunity, and rightly so, I think. And I think rightly so that she chose to come back herself and, you know, have a second go at it, albeit in a, in a, in a different, um, with a different song, of course. You know, because you know, they, it's a big job to get a get a song, the right song for it, and the whole production behind it. 
So, you know, there's a lot of work went into it last year and then that was all just gone to waste, I suppose, in a sense. But to have that opportunity to come back and do better this time is, is a great opportunity. Did she write the song? Yeah, she's involved. There's four others involved with her, I think it is, and they're, they're Swedes and there's a Dutch person, I think, in it as well. So, uh, yeah, but it, she's she's uh, heavily involved in it. I mean, it, it's, her, it's her baby, so to speak. Do we know, when we last spoke, it was still undecided what format the song contest was going to take in. Would she be performing it live in Rotterdam? That's still not 100% decided. It's definite at this stage that there won't be a Eurovision, like a normal Eurovision, where everybody will be performing and you'll have an audience or whatever on the night. That's not feasible at this stage, and I think that's been ruled out. The next option, which I think will probably happen, I, I for a while we thought it was going to be done um, in studios that everybody was going to do their own, um, you know, from their own nation, their own um, countries. Yeah, and, their own country, yeah, yeah, a little bit but, like the way the voting comes in, they'd be doing yeah. their songs. Yeah, but the the vibe at the minute, or the kind of what seems to be will happen at this point is. Um, all performers, like the, the set and the stage and all, will be there. They have the arena. They want to make use of that. It's no good building a big stage and a big set and having everybody perform in their respective countries. So what thought is going to happen is, you know, it could be done as if your arena was happening live on the night. But instead, each delegation performs a singer and if they have dancers or whatever with them, will travel to Rotterdam. Obviously, with um, the proper, um, you know, covid um, restrictions or whatever in place but that everybody will have a cert to say right we've had the test we're negative and they'll um, what's the word I'm looking for they, you know they'll, they'll be in I'm, I'm trying to the, they'll go into their own they'll, in isolation yeah go, and as if they will go to Rotterdam perform on stage and that will be recorded and then that will be put together in there you know so each delegation will do it there'll be no mixing as such and they, they'll go they'll do it and they'll come back Oh, okay, and they can go into their own little social bubbles. I mean, we've seen we've exactly, seen that. Yeah. And do you, do you think there will be any audience there at all? No, I I think at this stage probably not, um, because if you have an, unless they might have a local audience that will quarantine for a week in advance or something, I'm not sure. But um, you know, I think an audience would be great. But they might do the thing in the bubble and maybe even then keep them there, and then that they have the winning country. You know, whoever does win have some sort of presentation on the night but as yet that's not finalised Okay, but, but she still um, Leslie still has to get through the first semi-final that's it exactly and the thing about it is that I think is it 11 countries have yet to, to choose their song and that that's usually the usual timeline was around Paddy's weekend so um, the all songs have to be chosen I think by about the 14 to 15 okay. this year Okay we are going to play Stay There let's take a listen to this is Leslie Roy and the song is called Maps that song, I, I've already picked up the tune and like that, I heard it the first time, oh, I didn't know what it, and then the second time I heard it was on the late, late and I realised, oh God, I'm, I'm humming along to the song. Yeah, and, and that's, that's, a, good, and that's, that's a, good a good sign. And that's a good sign, yeah. Hi Patricia says, listener, strongest Irish Eurovision entry in years, getting a lot of positive feedback from the Euro fan base and Leslie Roy comes across as approachable, very friendly, is always interacting with fans on social media. I have high hopes for MAPS. I hope it gets the airplay it deserves to build up momentum at home Come on, Ireland, says a uh, texter. You say that all but 11 countries have chosen have chosen their songs at this stage. Any strong contenders out there? Um, Slovenia was uh, released yesterday and 
Sylvia, the, the singer, I don't even remember her name now, but I didn't um, kind of rate her at all last year, but she's a very strong song this year. Um, Norway uh, had a big competition and uh, their result in the end wasn't that, that great. There's, there's a few that stand out, but off the top of my head, you know, it's, it's difficult until you know the running order, the semi-final they're in. And, um, you know, to the to, to tough one. It's, it's Cyprus have put in a song. It's um, it's very Lady gaga oh. And um, there's a lot of controversy there. It's called El Diablo, the devil. Oh. But it's, it's um, there's been... There's Good luck with that. Pro- yeah, there's been protests. And, and it's it's nothing to do as such with the devil. It's just a, it's a reference. And, um, there's, you know, there's always controversy. and But no publicity is bad publicity. The one that everybody's waiting to hear is the Icelandic one because they were highly popular last year and were, you know, kind of top, they were top the ratings all over Europe and still do when they had kind of tours around Europe planned afterwards. And um, That the was the brilliant did. song with the guy and his family were with yeah, him, wasn't and, it? Yeah, yeah. it was brilliant. They, they, their launch is um, due pretty soon and that that's one to watch. Um, yeah. You know, and Russia as well. Russia will be the last one as usual to announce. We don't know if it's the same performance as last year. Um, so, you know, there's there, there, there's big um, kind of shoes to fill, I suppose. And uh, there's a there's a lot of, um, there's there's good ones out there and there's, there's not so good okay. ones and, as usual. But uh, a, lot, a lot to wait Have for. the UK picked their song? No, they've they've chosen the same singer, that's, uh, James Newman, that was uh, lined up for last year. And that song has been presented to Jeff Again, obviously, they, they'll all be due in the next two weeks. Okay. The Swedish one, um, the, fi- the second chance round is next Saturday. And then the final, the following Saturday, was Charlotte Pirelli, or Charlotte Nielsen, she was then, who won in 1999, um, Take Me To Your Heaven. She's back again in the final. She qualified for the final with a typical Swedish upbeat pop Eurovision song. Um, but he, and Eric Sade, who performed for them, he came toward back in 2011. So kind of big names there again, but nothing, nothing finalizing. You know, they have these big names. You know, it comes when it comes down to it, they pick. It, it, you know, the the least kind of um, favorite at the at the end of it. So it it, it remains to be seen what happens there. Okay. But, uh, we will we will speak again in May, um, Johnny. In the meantime, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you for that. Take care. Thanks, Thanks for joining Bye-bye. us, Johnny Omani, our Eurovision correspondent. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Lots of commentary coming in on the Eurovision Song Contest and we took time out to play Leslie Roy's song Maps, which I kind of like, I have to say. Uh, do you like it? Let us know your views on it. I think it's a catchy enough a tune. Liam in Brough says it, there should be a county by county vote. Remember like it used to be before when we had an event called the National Song Contest. Isn't that what it was called? And there was... Lima's right, there used to be county votes and they'd, you know, they'd vote almost a little bit like the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, Liam feels it, it's a loss to mu- the music industry and writers as they seem to keep, RTE obviously who organised the Eurovision, seem to keep everything within uh, Dublin. It would be greater interest for the whole country if they allowed county a county by county vote for the Eurovision. He doesn't like, well I suppose this year is a little bit unusual in that the way they've had to do it in, you know, that it's last year's singer and they just went off and told her to go write her own song and she had people to help her out write the song so I suppose this year is a little bit different maybe for next year uh, Liam they might pick up on your suggestion can I just offer before I go to back to some more of your texts that are coming in there was a text that came in during the last hour that kind of while I was 
in, in the middle of another interview and I'm trying to keep an eye on so the texts coming to me here in the studio so I'm trying to keep an eye on the texts that are coming in to find the ones that are relevant to a particular to the particular interview that that we were, we are doing and you know lots of texts get mixed up that's why I'm sometimes late getting to, if you send in a text and I'm sometimes late getting to it it's because so many come in at the one time but this one is a real worrying one it says hi Patricia where can I go for help would you know I'm being abused by my son and his girlfriend he hit me and he says lots of abusive words to me. Now, I don't know if this, if your son is living with you and his girlfriend or they are, are you all living in the one house. But even if he's only visiting, no one is allowed to hit you and no one is allowed to abuse you, whether you're married to the person or whether it's your son or your daughter. If your son has physically abused you and his girlfriend is physically abusing you, you can you can go to the guards. I mean, we've we've discussed this on the programme, all of the the guards now are really highly trained when it comes to that is domestic abuse even though it's at the hands of your son and your his partner but that is that's domestic violence what's happening to you it's more than domestic abuse the fact that he hit you that is that is violence you can pick up the phone you can ring the guards you will get a very very sympathetic uh, ear and I don't know what part of the county you're in, if you're in. I mean, there's, there's lots of really good groups um, that help people with domestic violence. You know, there's the Yana, You're Not Alone in North Cork. There's the Domestic Violence Abuse Centre in for West Cork. There's Women's Aid. There's lots of helplines. What we were only talking about a few weeks ago when we were trying to help a woman who is living in a very violent with a very violent partner you can walk into any boots uh, chemist and just look to speak to the pharmacist and you'll be taken to some place privately and they'll give you access to a phone if you want to ring to get advice from any of the women's aid uh, group and if you don't want to see, speak to a pharmacist if you just go to any member of staff and say that you're looking for a purple face mask that's kind of their key to bring you into a, a room where, where you would be where you will feel safe but you can ring the, your local guardie and tell them what's going on and they'll have a, a not so quiet word with your son. But please, you can't remain living like that in fear of your son. As I say, I don't know. It's a very short text. So I don't know if you're living with this abusive son or whether he comes to visit. But regardless, nobody has to live with that type of abuse, both physical. And when you say a lot of abusive language, it's obviously it's a emotional and verbal abuse that's going on as well. So please reach out. There's a lot of... Uh, help available and, and stay in contact with us and l- let us know where you are. It's just heartbreaking, heart, absolutely heartbreaking to read a comment like that when I know there will be so many other people listening who have lost parents and would dearly love to have a mother around and a mother to go and visit and, uh, you know, would look after you. You know, would just love to have the arms of a, a mother to, to go and visit. It's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking, but it's a sad and you're not on your own. You're not the only person who's living in a situation like that where children can turn on their parents and sometimes children can turn on much older parents as well who are very vulnerable and really not able to protect themselves. So look after yourself, but please reach out and and get help and don't continue to live with that kind of abuse. Uh, 1850-333-103 and some people starting to comment on the news that we brought you earlier this morning about the closure of bank branches by Bank of Ireland. They're closing 103 branches all over the country and we, we gave you the ones that they're closing here in Cork and I see now some of our 
TDs are starting to pick up on it with a great anger and, and, and disappointment. The Bank of Ireland has decided to close various branches. One West Cork listener says it really looks like rural Ireland doesn't exist anymore. Between lockdowns and now hearing bank closures, most of the most bank closures, bar the one that's in CIT, are all in rural areas. Rural Ireland is finished. That comes in from a West Cork listener. And then Olive is making the point with when Bank of Ireland are saying, oh, well, any of the branches we've closed as post office you can use the post office instead Bantry, Skull, Ballydehob etc. Many post offices in rural areas are always under threat under threatened threat of closure says Olive so just to say that there is a Bank of Ireland you know Bank of Ireland closes and oh will you have a post office you can't be guaranteed that that particular Bank of Ireland will remain open. Yeah, I know the point you're making uh, Olive. And Mary says uh, Patricia, a quick note on the closing of the Bank of Ireland branches. There was a spokesperson on National Radio this morning who stated that some branches were closing as a result of lack of people visiting the branches during the past 12 months. But correct me if I'm wrong, there were a number of lockdowns during the last year and we were told not to make any unnecessary journeys. Also, some of the branches were shut for a time. So I think this is a very lame excuse. I pity in particular older people who are not able to go online and will now have to travel longer distances on rural bus links, etc., just to get to a bank. It's just another tactic to get everybody to bank online, signed a very angry at Mary. And Mary, I heard that interview and I did hear that spokesperson make that point. Oh, sure, not many people are going into branches, but sure, a lot of banks are deliberately doing everything to 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 encourage you not to go near the branches. I mean, how many branches are open and you, all you're going in is to use a machine? You can't physically see anyone. There's only certain times of the day that there'll be people at the counter. And Mary's right. They've always, they've done everything in recent years to try to get people to go online. So using that, that's a very lame excuse to say, oh, we're closing it because people are not visiting the branches. They're, and you're right. How can they say that during the middle of a pandemic when there were lockdowns and when people were only told to make journeys if they're absolutely necessary. 1850 And back to a whole host of commentary coming in about the protests that happened last Saturday in uh, Dublin. Someone says the Gardaí are not saints either. They have a way of intimidating people, says this uh, texter. So people will get annoyed the sooner this government get the vaccine and open up the country. Michal Martin has his job and food on the table. People are losing jobs and children are going hungry. No wonder people are protesting. The vaccine is the only thing to get us out of here. That's why people are protesting. And Dan says, I know of some people who went to the protest on Saturday. They're not bad people and they have no interest in that type of behaviour. It was a disgrace. They said that there was a massive amount of people there peacefully protesting and felt they had a right to protest peacefully. Then there was an element of hooligans who hijacked this protest. So not a so now everyone is tired with the same brush. The 100,000 water protesters that marched years ago stopped the government from selling off our water supply. They were called hooligans as well when the whole protesting thing first kicked off. The right of people to survive and to provide for their families is being taken away by knee-jerk reactions of this government. Yet the likes of large multiples and chain stores are open. Please don't try to tell me that this is right and fair regardless of the virus, says uh, Dan. 
Hi, Patricia. It was absolutely disgusting what happened in Dublin. I think they should be severely punished, those who took part. And I don't mean with just a fine or a term in jail. They should be made to do hard labour somewhere safe that they can't break out of. And that's from Anne. And then a Moy listener sent me in a leaflet that came through their door a couple of days ago from the National Party. Uh, and it's, it's detailing, telling people, you know, to fight against the lockdowns. And from and my listener says, well, they don't ask people out straight to go out and protest. I think it's an incitement to do just uh, that. And someone else says, I don't think that any demonstration should be held on Saturday. Worried about the one that they're talking about having here in uh, Cork. Is that not an amalgamation of people which we're not allowed to do at the moment with the restrictions exactly. Well, that's why people were being fined for what happened on Saturday. John in Cove says, I fully support the marches in Dublin. Our government, I feel, have failed us in the handling of this virus. I don't agree or approve of the violence that was held, though, and I hope all future protests will be peaceful. Violence is not the way to go. And to our Twitter on C103 Cork, uh, somebody picking up on Tim, who joined us from Donnerill in the last hour. Tim is right. People need to be mindful of others. And John O'Donovan, who you had on from the city, sounds like he's an agitator on an issue of just anti-government. Also, John said he knew people who travelled to Dublin from Cork. Did he report them for breaching the five kilometre rule? Why are they encouraging people to come to Cork for the protest next week? Martin in Mitchellstown says if these guys were working every day, they wouldn't have the energy to be out protesting and running away from the Gardaí or organising such uh, events. And John in Skibbereen says people are simply getting so sick of the government, particularly with the five kilometre rule while we've got people flying into this country and they're still not hotel quarantining them. People are frustrated and yet they're both the government are boasting about a limited number of people being vaccinated. I don't like these protests but there's going to be many, many more of them happening the longer that people are getting frustrated and it's frustrating is leading people to go out onto the streets and uh, protest. And Kevin in the city is wondering about the amount of traffic that are on our roads at the moment and he reckons the amount of tradespeople who are claiming the pandemic payment yet they're still working that surely that needs to be looked at. And I I was talking to John Paul in the office before I came on air this morning and we were talking about that issue. The Construction Federation, they're coming out saying, are we, uh, we'll be doing it later in the week, uh, tomorrow. The Construction Federation, they're coming out on that very topic saying that there's a lot of work going on in the black economy. Now, I don't know if people are signing on for pandemic payments at the same time as the black economy, but they're themselves saying we need to do something. We need to open up construction because if we don't, we're going. To, the black economy is going to continue, and and nobody wins. Well, the, certainly the government doesn't win in that scenario. If people are claiming a pandemic payment and working at the same time, because obviously if they're doing it, the black economy they won't be paying their taxes on it uh, as well. So the construction federation is saying that does need to be looked at. And do you remember last week we touched on that with the hairdressers, and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that there's a lot of people getting their hairs done behind closed doors and there was a push last week with people saying they need to open up the hairdressers and hairdressers themselves are saying there is so much happening in the black economy at the moment and you know it's the 
they're fearful then about when businesses reopen will people go back to their normal hairdresser or will they have found a new hairdresser during lockdown and so hairdressers are worried about that as well so we will be talking about that we will talk about that in more detail uh, tomorrow 1850 someone else says they know that the more the, the more they're going to protest the more our lives will remain the same. It has to stop. My worry is that a lot of these could end up as super spreaders. And we were talking about the schools having reopened and I wonder how the little ones are getting on. They're still in class. Some of the smaller ones will be coming out soon enough, won't they? Somebody made a point. They have grandchildren in Boston. Where was that? Hi, Patricia. I have two grandchildren living in Boston. Their mum is actually a special needs uh, teacher. She has worked throughout this pandemic, except for a brief couple of weeks last March when they went in to lockdown in Boston and even when lockdowns took place all schools remained open all children over the age of two have to wear masks inside in schools or childcare settings all children's sports are open but only for the trainers and the children none of the parents can go along to the training sessions all must wear masks they had ice skating at the weekend it's a case of if you don't agree with the rules then don't send your children in they are the rules and I should also say that the schools did not have to close at any stage and not one person contracted COVID. It was the same with baseball. Everybody adhered though to the rules and the regulations and they've managed to do it safely and that's what everyone is keeping their fingers crossed with the reopening of schools today. A third of pupils have returned. Everyone is just really hoping that it all goes according to plan and if it does go according to plan it means in two weeks time all of the other primary school pupils and the fifth year students in second year, they're penciled in to go back on the 15th of March and we know the rest of secondary school uh, students, they won't go back until after the Easter holidays. But the rollout of the schedule does depend on how the virus behaves in the face of this mass mobilisation which has been triggered by today's partial reopening involving just one third of the school population but there would have been a lot of extra traffic out on the roads this morning and a lot of parents dropping their children off and because it's the smallies they'll all be dropped to the school gates there's this whole um, worry I suppose this time round and I know teachers unions and school management are all going to be watching it very careful, carefully because of the highly contagious COVID variant that's now dominant, the UK one, which only emerged, that only emerged while the children were on their Christmas break. It wasn't there when children were in school between September and Christmas. So there will be a lot of focus on the schools. And I know the INTO said, you know, they're awaiting public health data to see how the special needs schools, because they've already returned, how they have been uh, getting on, just in the hope that there hasn't been any any spread. And schools have been working really hard to welcome back the pupils today and make sure that all of the prevention controls and all the protocols are, are in place. And of course, there has also been a campaign and the campaign that continues urging parents to play their part to keep the virus out of the classroom. That includes not sending your children in if they have any COVID symptoms and of course also being aware of social 
social distancing, no gathering near the school gates and everyone has been, been warned. And it's going to be hard on parents who won't have seen, you know, other parents since before Christmas and suddenly you're meeting up with somebody who perhaps you always chatted with at the school gates but they're asking people just give a wave and a nod and move on and don't be congregating either when you're dropping the children off or when you're collecting them uh, later on this afternoon. 1850 333103 um, COVID Dennis in. Am I going to this now online? Is this on line one? Okay, before we go to the community diary, just let me go to one more caller. This is Dennis in uh, Black Rock. Uh, good afternoon to you, Dennis. Good afternoon, President. Good afternoon. Good You're good afternoon. looking, you want, do you say they need to look at the five kilometre rule? Oh, yes, so I'd, I'd look. People are under severe pressure mentally, right? Okay. Like any pension on myself. And, and you know, and there's other pensions even around the country. And they can't even go to the beach and sit down with a flask and a couple of sandwiches and just look at the ocean for a break. I mean, say there's some people. We have been ruled with an iron stick here, right? Mm-hmm. Right? And you see, the problem lies in the airports and the ferry ports. If people want to demonstrate, demonstrate there with placards saying, stay out. And if you're going out, stay out. It's as simple as that. The government are not... I don't know what's wrong with them buffoons up there. It's absolutely a disgrace. I and couldn't get over in the Sunday papers reading the number of people that are still going away on holidays and flying back into the country. I think it was 7,500 people last week alone into Dublin Airport flying back from holidays. Our own, our own have no shame. And that's the truth of it. There's thousands of people in this country. They have no shame. And they are not responsible. And they are not acting responsible. You're also raising, I can see here on the screen, you're also making an interesting point. Because people are, are sticking, well, those, we know some people are not sticking to the 5K, but those that are, it's causing people then to congregate on top of each other. Oh, sure, I'm down here on Black Rock and Cockney, and there were thousands of people roaming around there yesterday, and there's two coffee little shops there, and you know something? People, they would cheat the job there, you know? And were they all locals? Well, they're not all local. That's the funny part about it. You know? They're not all local. Because there's absolutely thousands. And that, and that is a breeding ground for this virus. We've there's had no phone calls in from West Cork saying a lot of the beaches were packed yesterday. I and did, I've just I seen did. a text in Donnerale Park at the weekend. It's an insult to the people of Donnerale, the amount of people that were there. They certainly weren't all within their, their 5K. So you think See, lift, lift the 5K and allow people... Yes, yes, Patricia, lift the 5K. Look, there's no place open. So what's wrong with travelling around the country? Go to a park, go to a beach. There people roam around freely. Not all together in one bloody batch. Because the people's mental health is not taken into consideration here, Patricia. No way is it. And we know we've, we have a huge problem with, with mental health and, and, and we're losing people to suicide. Stay there, Joan, Joan and Fomoy. Joan, uh, you agree with um, you agree with Dennis and Black Rock, Joan? I do wholeheartedly because, to be okay. honest, I am tired of driving around the suburbs of Fomoy. All I want is to drive out to Kilworth, pause, look in at a different field, a different ditch, come back, maybe go out to Rackormack. It's just dreadful. We're in the cars and I don't see... All you will do is stop and look at scenery. You're only going for a drive, Joan. You're not even getting out of the car. No, we're only really... I mean, we might go up to Amber, we might go out a mile or two out the road. And um, 
it's only just a pastime. It's just to get what? out of the house and a different scene, a different road. Change of scenery. A change of scenery. What? And if we had 10 kilometres at least, you would have the leeway to go to Kilworth and come back another way. OK, Dennis, you, you Jones, singing on the same hymn sheet as you? Ah, look, yes. I, I, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, they say there's no, there's no, there's no retail open in the country, Patricia, right? Mm. There's no place you can go and buy anything, right? Only a shop if you want to buy a bit of food, right? So what is the problem with people being able to travel? And go to the beach. Right? Yes. Oh, or a park. You know I was parked up last year down Blackrock Castle, right? I was only about 500 yards away from my home. And there was two girls came along. They were questioning everybody, and she questioned. They were just bang gathered. She questioned me. She said, "What are you doing here? Where are you going to come from?" Oh, I said, I, I, "I said I'm living local." But she said, "You shouldn't be here." Why? No, and I sit in my car. You know, what? what it was an unnecessary journey, was it? But you're allowed to exercise. You're allowed to go out. Yeah, but I, I, I was after getting a takeaway meal. I just sat down in the car and I was eating that. I'm just looking at the scene in front of me. You know, I know. Like change of scenery, as John says. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You have to do it. That has to be done. There's no, they're not compensating for that. No way of it. I know people as I said before. That people, we have to demonstrate at the airport. Wake the government up. I'm all for demonstrations, but do it right and peacefully, please. And peacefully. I mean, right. it, 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 just the docks here in the cock, right? Mm. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen a couple of private boats pulled up here in the, in the, in the port of Cork last week. Where did they come from? And there's guys, there's boats coming in here. And another thing is, they're walking around the town, doing their shopping, going to the art places for their drink or whatever. There's nothing about it. Hotel quarantine is what there's we need. Nothing, no and they're still talking about that. All right, listen, Dennis in Blackrock and Jonah in Formoy. Uh, thank you for that. Miriam is in Bandon. She says the pandemic has happened and no politician is to blame. Those protesting should be brought into CUH or any other hospital and ICU unit and see firsthand what is happening. Do people really think the government are locking down the country for the fun of it? I don't know what is wrong with some people. 1850 103 John Paul taking your calls we are looking for your questions for Annalise Dressel please of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballinclodig our nutritional therapist you can get those in and you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice see corkcoco.ie It is World Wildlife Day this Wednesday the 3rd of March and Cork Nature Network are inviting you to join Professor John Quinn from UCC via Zoom where he will be giving fascinating insights into the lives of birds to register for this few event free event you log on to eventbrite.ie and Kinsale Atlantic Artists are holding a Pink for Daffodil Day window and online exhibition. It runs from Thursday the 11th of March to Monday the 29th of March with proceeds going directly to the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil uh, Day. And Hennessy Timber Group are holding a raffle in aid of Bumbalance and Make-A-Wish Foundation. Great prizes up for grabs, including an adventure play set valued at €2,400. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie And let me wrap up with a few more of your texts that are coming in 
in. This is on workers coming into the country. Uh, it's been said that Larry Goodman got a special travel pass to bring over a thousand Brazilians here come um, and we have to keep five kilometres. It's an absolute uh, disgrace. I heard at the weekend that there was 1,500 agricultural uh, workers. This, this is aside from people who work in meat plants, but I heard that there's 1,500 and that the agricultural sector, there's nobody here in Ireland want to do those jobs. They're low paid. But that kind of worried me because if you've got 1,500 people coming in, I think they're mainly from uh, Nordic countries, did I hear, is where we mainly go for, or maybe it's Eastern European countries where we mainly go for agricultural workers, jobs that Irish people don't want to do because they're usually quite, they're not paid uh, very well. But the danger there is that they live in very crowded accommodation and I'm trying to find out more about it in particular. Are all of them going to isolate when they do arrive into this uh, country? So there's a lot of question marks about workers still coming in. But I was shocked to hear that the, the agricultural workers are coming in and seemingly this parts of the agriculture sector need the workers and they've no choice but to bring in the migrant uh, workers. Patricia, the crowds that are gathering in Mount Hillary between Bantier and Lambertstown, it's crazy. Lots of people are travelling well over their five kilometres. On the banks and Bank of Ireland making the decision to close 103 branches today. Dan says older people need the bank branches as most will never be able to bank online. We pay billions to bail out those banks. We own the biggest share in many of them and the government must on our behalf reverse these decisions. Surely we're entitled to payback of the billions in some fashion. Watch out what Bank of Ireland are doing. They'll end up doing an Ulster Bank down the line and leaving us all at a loss and pulling out completely. Michal Martin needs to get the finger out and sort this out, please. That's from Dan. Someone else says, when is the Bank of Ireland branch in Dunmanway closing? It's September, I'm sure. I heard earlier that all the branches that got announced for closure, it's not until uh, September. Joe in Dunmanway says, I actually stopped banking at Bank of Ireland because a few years ago, I went in and asked to withdraw money with the teller, not an ATM, as there was a queue at the ATM. I was told, sorry, but we don't have money on a Tuesday or whatever day I went in. I can't remember, says Joe. So I said, you're a bank. How can you not have any money? I switched to bank that day, says Joe in uh, Dunmanway. Um, 1850-333-103 on the protests and the possible protest that's going to happen in Saturday on Cork. They know now that there's talks of a protest going on next Saturday. What are they going to do to avoid that protest happening? They have a week to sort it out. Lives are more important. John and Carrigaline regarding the protest on Saturday. I can't get over how few people were arrested in Dublin. 23 seems to be an abysmal amount when you look at the amount that was there, about 2,000 people. The army needs to be brought in. We have no people to enforce current laws and restrictions. It is plain to see in every town. Level 5 lockdown is slipping away fast. There will be more protests on the way. It's time to step up with the Gardaí on the streets and on the town. Let the army make a name for themselves. Laws are laws. People are going to get hurt and John's fear is people could end up being killed. And someone else says if they do and actually there's a couple of people have made this point when someone said there should be water cannons if there's more of these protests. Somebody said, I think the contents of a slurry tank 
would work on a crowd out protesting. And actually, there was a few people mentioned slurry tanks, and I even think there was one person with an offer uh, of it. And then just a couple of queries in on vaccines. Anne says, when you get your second vaccine, is it safe to go to the shop uh, then? It's a week after your second vaccine as well, when you are then deemed to be uh, fully vaccinated. Uh, um, And a Mallow listener says, Patricia, do you think it's safe to do your grocery shopping the last thing just before shops closed because it's quieter? Or is it best to go early in the morning? Some people are saying that the COVID can be caught by touching items as it may have been handled numerous times during the day and somebody looking uh, for advice. Always say, listen, pick the time that suits you. I always, and if you go into a supermarket and it's too busy, then go away and come back at a, at a quieter time. I think early in the morning is probably the quietest time. I think it's more important the amount of people that are in the shop rather than worrying that people have picked up items because that's where you you yourself will look at you hand sanitise before you go in you do your shopping you've got your mask on so you're keeping your hands away from your nose your mouth and your eyes on the way out you make sure that you hand sanitise as well when you take off your mask put it into a little bag if it's one you're bringing home for washing hand sanitise again so even if God forbid you were in a supermarket and you did touch something that had COVID on it You've, you've touched it, it's on your hands. It has to get into your eyes, your nose or your mouth. So by constantly washing your hands and hand sanitising, you'll wash it off if it was on it. So I think rather than picking, you know, rather than worrying about that, that people have handled other items, it's more important for you to pick a time where it isn't very busy in there and then it's more important that you totally bring your A-game with washing of your hands. And then when you get home, wash your hands properly again, unpack your shopping and wash your hands again and you will be fine. 18, please God. 1853 Going to take a break. Back with Annalise uh, Drissel answering all of your nutritional questions. Court today on C1. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. 103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Annalise Dressel of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic now online at the healthhubstore.ie. Did I get that website right, Annalise? Dot com. Dot com. My apologies. Okay, Annalise Dressel joins us. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. And, and you're welcome. Let's get straight into questions. A question for Annalise, please. Can one overdose on zinc? I've been taking zinc with vitamin C and D, but I'm just wondering, should you only take zinc for a short period of time? Many thanks. Okay, so yes, it is absolutely possible to overdose on zinc, but it wouldn't be, it would be hard to get to dangerous levels. One of the bigger issues is when you're taking a high dose of anything, Patricia, is that often our minerals will compete for absorption. And if you're taking a very high amount of one, it tends to take, occupy all the receptor sites. So it may actually push out the other minerals. So it's fine to take, that's why I would often say with magnesium, for example, take it at night time you know, about an hour before you go to bed because at that point your body has absorbed what it needs from its food throughout the day and you're less likely to be uh, competing for absorption. So in the case of taking too much zinc, I think the, if you look at the our recommended daily allowance or the RDA that will be listed on the side of the bottle, I'm sure it won't be um, more than maybe 20 or 30% of the RDA for zinc. So you're probably pretty safe taking that combination one. But if you're taking 100% of the RDA for zinc, I'd recommend maybe every second day or giving it a break at weekends. Okay, Paula has been put on a statin to lower her cholesterol. She feels that the statin is causing aches and pains, but when she said it to her doctor, she almost feels like the doctor thinks it's all in in her head. Can statins cause aches and pains? Absolutely, uh, Patricia, and it was one of the more common side effects, actually. And the reason that it does is because the statin drug blocks a pathway in the liver that makes cholesterol. So it prevents you building up cholesterol by stopping you making it. However, that pathway is also responsible for making a very important vitamin that we need in all of our muscles um, called coenzyme Q10. So you can become deficient in that because you're unable to make it and it's very hard to get from diet. So if you need to stay on the statin, the best advice I'd give would be to take the coenzyme Q10 separately. Um, and if you take it for a month and the aches and pains have gone away, then you definitively know it is definitely as a result of the statin. But I've seen it over and over again in the shop, Patricia. Other side effects would be, um, uh, you know, short-term memory loss, uh, feeling tired on exertion, weakness in the muscles of the legs and the um, pain across the back um, of the shoulders. They're all very, very common side effects of the statin drug. Um, and taking the Q10 will generally mean that most of those will clear up. And is there a natural statin that you can there take is, instead? There is. There's a natural alternative. Actually, we sell a lot of it here in the shop. It's called Cardio K. It does exactly the same as the statin, but it comes from a natural source called red rice yeast. So it seems to be very well tolerated because I do have a lot of customers who would not be able to take the statins because of debilitating side effects. And they can take this and it does help bring your cholesterol down. And it's very cheap as well, so it's great value. It's called Cardio K. Okay, and question for Annalise, please. Could you recommend a supplement that you could give to a 16-year-old boy for strong overall body odour? Even though he showers regularly, it's even on his clothes. Okay, so that would be very normal, Patricia, I think, with teenage boys going through puberties with hormones and that. Um, Often 
doing something for the liver will help in these cases because um, if the liver is detoxifying efficiently, the skin does not need to act as a detoxifying agent. Often people will notice um, that their sweat will smell a lot worse if they been hammering it for example at the party scene and that again is because your liver is a little bit overwhelmed and your skin is acting as a detoxifying agent so taking something natural for the liver could help uh, you want something in there with dandelion burdock cysteine is another thing as well it's spelled c-y-s-t-e-i-n-e they're all very good for the pathways in the liver that detoxify hormones and the sex hormones including male and female sex hormones so if you can get rid of those old ha- hormones out of the system through the liver efficiently, it should make a difference in terms of the smell of the sweat. OK, blood pressure, says Mary. What would Annalise recommend to help keep blood pressure down? OK, so there's a few ways that you can approach it, Patricia. Um, and a lot of the time, actually, it's, it's very poorly understood why blood pressure um, increases. I think it happens a lot for women of menopause age, in which case HRT can be very protective. But there's different ways of approaching it. So the first way is to make sure that all of the cells in the arteries and vein and heart are healthy. And hawthorn um, is very good for that. You can get it as a tea or you'll get it in a supplement. Coenzyme Q10, that vitamin I was talking about earlier, the one that um, you can be deficient in if you're on a statin, that's also excellent for managing your blood pressure. Um, There's a company called Terranova and they do a lovely supplement which has CoQ10, magnesium and hawthorn in it and I get very good results with that um, for for blood pressure. Uh, Potassium is another one as well although I don't recommend people take very high doses of potassium in a supplement because you actually can become toxic with too much potassium. So if you are taking it make sure it's a low dose or that it's mixed with other things like sodium and magnesium. Um, The DASH diet is very good Patricia. Uh, if you go on to Google and Google the DASH, D-A-S-H diet, it's a very low salt diet. And that's another way of helping to manage high blood pressure. Anything, any recommendation for an 18 year old who gets a very sore neck after shaving? That's a very unusual, Patricia. I don't know what's going on there. Um, I don't understand. Is it maybe this, the skin on so the neck becomes very short? I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, I'm assuming it's like some kind of a rash from, yeah, this, from the shaving, rash. yeah. So what I would recommend there is um, going for a very natural saving, shaving soap. There is a company that do a lovely shave oil, an Irish company actually, they... Um, Absolute Aromas, I think is the name of the company, are Atlantic Aromatics, one of these companies that make uh, a lot of the essential oils. They do a lovely shave oil that's very gentle. And the Dr. Bronner has got some um, shaving soaps that are very, very gentle. So I'd recommend switching to a non-chemical version of those because it's very possible he's allergic to the foaming agent in the shaving foam, which is called sodium lauryl sulfate. So make that switch. And the second thing, of course, is to have a very, very sharp blade because if the blade blunts, it will irritate the skin. You mentioned the Cardio K. Somebody is saying, hi, guys, just checking why we've got a problem in getting Cardio K tablets. Is there a problem with supply of those? There was actually, Patricia, was out of stock for a long time. So I do have some stock. I'm hoping it'll remain in stock now. It's a very good value product. You can buy three for the price of two and it costs about 28 2085 is the price actually for the three the three months supply. So yes, they're correct. It was out of stock for a long time, but it should be starting to trickle back into health shops now. 
Okay, Nuala says, I'm suffering a lot from anxiety due to the coronavirus. And Nuala, can I say, you're not on your own. There's so, so many people saying the same thing. And Elise mentioned cannabis uh, oil and has mentioned it a few times on her programme. But when I've gone to look for it, there's so many different types. I don't know what I should be looking for. Absolutely, Patricia, it is confusing. There's actually, you can even get gummies now in cannabis oil. So there is a huge range of choice. And over the years, we have had different um, brands and different products in stock. And I've settled on the Cannabis Gold, which is the one I stock here in the shop, um, because it was the one that was consistently getting the best feedback. And it comes in different strengths. You can get it at 2.5 milligrams per dose. 5 milligrams, 10 milligrams, 15, and it even actually goes up as far as 30, but I very rarely would um, recommend that one. And the one that seems to work best for anxiety is the 10% one. There's a higher percentage of the CBD, the cannabinoid CBDA in it, and that seems to have a very good calming effect. Um, and again, I've sold so much of this, Patricia, over the years, it's been tried and tested. It kicks in in about 10, 15 minutes to take the edge off anxiety. But the other thing I could recommend is to kind of take a longer-term approach to managing anxiety and taking herbs like ashwagandha and rhodiola because these are wonderful for kind of supporting the body through stressful times. And they, what they really do is they raise the threshold of your coping ability. So you're less likely to become stressed over smaller matters. Um, and again, they've been herbs that we've used in the shop here for a very long time to great effect. So cannabis oil for short-term use and then the long-term, I would recommend ashwagandha and rhodiola. Okay, and there's so many people, you know, Nula's not, not on her own. I'd say it's something you're hearing a lot of. Are you in the shop? This year, Patricia, we've sold very little in terms of cough and cold remedies, but we have huge, huge amount of anxiety. Sleep is another big issue as well. So I think, you know, there's just a constant barrage of bad news and so we, our bodies are basically primed to be fight or flight because we've been hearing so much bad news. So um, it's very common. And I think, of course, everybody is missing family, missing friends, missing the ability to go out and socialise. It's a huge amount of loneliness as well. So the sooner we can get back to normality, the better. OK, absolutely. And just let me finish with this. Hi, uh, Patricia. Could you please thank Annalise for her advice last week about the appetite suppressant? Uh, I got some and it's working. Much appreciated from a West Cork oh, listener. Well done. Well done. Listen, have a great week and we'll chat to you next week. That's great. Thanks, Patricia. Amelia. Bye-bye. That is Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square and Balancholic and the healthhubstore.com and she puts up a link which I checked and it is. It's got all the projects that she talks about because it's sometimes very difficult when she's calling out some of the items they're quite hard she's to even spell out what they are and then of course John Paul in particular gets a lot of calls afterwards from people and it's impossible for us to remember everything because she is a mine of information uh, so you can go onto her website and it'll show you some of the if you scroll down the page you'll see as, spo- as said on the radio and you can see the items that she's spoken about uh, today and Sheila says before we go have I time for this I do um, how true this is on um, the two two of our listeners who were talking about the 5k rule how true the 5k restriction is punitive and it's ridiculous it's causing huge distress especially to people living alone it is so high handed of the government if we could travel even within our own county we would have a degree of humanity and a degree of compassion about the restrictions I'm fed up walking the same stretch of road every single day thank you for 
airing this and that is from uh, Sheila. And on the Bank of Ireland branches closing, Patricia Sean in McCroom here. I went to do business at my local branch of Bank of Ireland in McCroom some time ago and I was told the girl at the cashier is not back yet. She's gone to lunch. I said, if you keep doing your business like that, you'll end up closing down. They said, oh God, no, we won't. I still have my doubts, says Sean in McCroom, hearing the news uh, today. And Joe is worried about the Brazilian variant. Wait till that kicks off in this country. The lockdown will be for nothing. The government will have some questions to answer them. The front door is locked for the locals and the back door is wide open for international travel. Kind regards, Joe. Okay, just a sample of the many, many calls and texts coming in. Our thanks to everybody who took time out to contact the programme today and our apologies if we didn't get to all of your commentary. That's where I leave you though for today. Mark Malone is in for Nick Richards for the afternoon. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. It looks like it's going to be a lovely afternoon if you can manage to get out even within your 5k and I know we're sick of the scenery but if you can manage to get out and get some fresh air it certainly will help. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. On to the line Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon and stay safe. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.